Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit outreachchurch.net for downloads and service information. How you guys doing? Awesome, awesome. Well, I appreciate y'all letting me come up here and speak and talk with you guys today. I was supposed to speak in a couple weeks, and um, and then I got the call the other day. I said, hey, could you do it tomorrow? And I said, all right, let me, let me get ready real quick. So I already had a word in my heart, so the Lord already prepared me there. So and I'm just really excited about it because we're learning. All of life is learning how to follow the Spirit of God. You know, it says in Romans 8, that the sons of God follow the Spirit of God. And we're following him through all the different transitions of life, the ebbs and flows, the ups and downs. And we're learning what that looks like just to be yielded and connected to him, to be guided by him. Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes 3, he talks about the different times and seasons. He said that there's a time to be born and there's a time to die. There's a time to speak and there's a time to listen. There's a time to give and there's a time to receive. There's a time for war and there's a time for death. And I just feel like we have just been going through some different seasons. You know, it says, um, it said that the wise men, they watched the sky. They saw the stars. They were led by God at the time of Jesus' birth. But at the time of his death, there were still people looking at the sky waiting for something to happen. They were waiting for Elijah to return or, or some old prophet to come back. But what they didn't know was the message wasn't in the sky. It was actually at the ground where Jesus' blood was spilt. That was speaking to them the better word. And I feel like we as a church, we've been in this time till now of fasting. I think that, that's the word I could use to kind of describe it. That we've been waiting, setting ourselves apart, seeking the Lord, saying no to many, many things that looked good, that sounded good, that had the appearance of God, but it wasn't quite Him. Setting ourselves apart. But I feel that in this new year, we have been transitioning to a time of feasting to a time where we will experience the goodness of the Lord. If we could put that Psalms verse up there. Taste and see that the Lord is good and blesses the man who takes refuge in him. You know, it says taste and see. That word is used throughout Scripture a bunch and it has many different meanings. One is experience. It's to say taste and maybe drum up a little hope that he really is good. Taste and like, maybe if I just squint my eyes hard enough, I might just maybe get a glimpse of his goodness. No, it's taste and see. Taste and experience his goodness. And I think for a long time, you know, we, there's so many people who have testimonies that we've heard from other people, from other places, of what it is he wants to do. We've read the stories in our Bible, but now is a time for us to have it in our hearts. Because it was not something that we heard. It's not something that we saw on a video screen. It's not something we listened to on a podcast. But it's something that we experienced in our own lives. And I feel that for every single person in the room, not just for Roy, not just for, for a few people, but for everybody, for even the person who sits in the back and sneaks in during worship and walks out before the service is over. 
who thinks, maybe, maybe not me. Maybe that's just for them. So this is a time where God wants to expose the Gideon nature and prove to you too that you are a man and a woman of valiance. That you are created with a destiny. And that his goodness isn't just for some, but it's for all. Because it's the heart of God to draw all men unto themselves. We need an experience of who he is. Because you can speak scripture. You can quote truth. But if you quote it outside of a relationship with a man, because truth is a man, you'll miss it. I remember years ago, I was uh, hanging out with a friend of mine. And um, he's one of my really good friends. And he had just been dealt a hard card. Um, just had some things happen in his life that was just, it was tough. Things that he thought the Lord said to him that was going to take place. It was going to look in a certain way. But it didn't necessarily pan out that way. So for weeks, maybe even months, we've been talking, encouraging each other. We're speaking, you know, quote scripture, speaking truth. But nothing seemed to happen. And I remember one night we were hanging out, and I felt like I had quoted every single scripture I knew. And he was quoting it back to me too. And I felt like God had said to me, why don't you invite me into this conversation? And I was just like, all right. So I said to him, hey, I'm going to pray for you. And God's going to do something. So he said, how about it, man? Come on. So I put my hands on him, and then I thought, man, I got nothing else to say. I've already said everything I know to say. So I said, uh, can I pray in tongues over you? Because that's all I really got left. <laughs> so he kind of laughed, and he said, sure. So I just started shakabobbling and all that good stuff. And out of my mouth, I just start saying, et tu brute, et tu brute, et tu brute. And in the back of my mind, what's this going on? I'm thinking, am I quoting Shakespeare? <laughs> like, my spirit, man, is educated. Golly, is this biblical? It's not, not biblical. So I get done. I felt it. I felt power flowing through me. And I looked at him, and I was like, bro, what was that? He's like, dude, that was crazy. I know. I think that was Shakespeare. <laughs> he said, all day today, I was working. And I don't even know why. But I was just thinking, what would that have felt like? To have turned around and looked at your eyes of your best friend and say, You too, Brutus? Ed too, Brute? He's like, What does that mean? I said, Bro, that means God hasn't left you. He's not far from you. That even when you think you are so far away from Him, He's right there with you in the middle of every single thought throughout your day. The world needs an experience with the man of God.
Listen, you can't feast without a fast. And you can't fast without a feast. You need them both. And God's coming in multiple different ways. And we can't let our understanding of the miraculous that we've experienced limit us to the miraculous that he wants to expose to us. See, God fed Elijah through the ravens. But he was stuck on how he was going to be fed when he was in the wilderness. He would have been looking for the ravens, not noticing that there was an angel behind him tapping on the shoulder saying, Arise and eat. And sometimes God wants to feed you through the hands of what's natural, like the ravens. Sometimes it's through the supernatural, like with the angels. And I'll say this too. And this was kind of hard for me to kind of wrap my mind around, but it takes more faith to feast than it does to fast. Because Elijah got up and he ate. And after he ate, he was full and he fell back asleep. But he wasn't done yet. The angel came back and tapped him on the shoulder again and says, No, Elijah, arise and eat. For the journey ahead of you is much too great. You got to find the Lord when there's a time for him to be found. When he is present. The disciples of John and the disciples of the Pharisees, they both came to him in Mark chapter 2 and said, why don't your disciples fast? He said, because you don't fast when the bridegroom is present. Listen, you can't truly feast unless you fasted. And you can't truly fast unless you feasted. You need them both. But I'm just saying, God wants to expose himself to you in a way in this time that maybe you've never experienced him before. I want to read from uh, Luke 24, verse 25 to you guys today. And I think this is just a story. It's the story of the road to Emmaus. And I was actually, you know, I had this in my heart. And Roy came to me a couple weeks ago and said, hey, you you want to speak? I said, sure. He said, how about April 8th? I said, that's perfect. I want to speak on the road to Emmaus the week after Easter. It's like God. And then he's like, nah, we're going to speak on it on Palm Sunday. I'm like, well. That's like God too, I guess, right? But here we go. Luke 24, verse 25. I want to set the scene up a little bit. So Jesus had just died, and there's two disciples that are walking along this road. They're sad. They're mourning the loss of their friend. And Jesus comes up next to them. In the Gospel of Mark, it actually says that he came to them in a different form. A form that they didn't recognize. And said, what is going on with you? And I'm like, have you not heard? Are you the only man in all of Israel that doesn't know what's happening these days? Jesus, a main prophet, great indeed, has died. And they started to express just the hurt and the anguish in their heart. 
And Jesus still, in a form that they don't recognize, he spoke to them and he said, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. And he acted as if he was going further. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us. For it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So they went in to stay with him. And when he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed. He has appeared to Simon. And they told them what happened on the road and how he was made known to them in the breaking of the bread. Lord, I just ask that you just speak to every single person in here, that you speak through me, that you speak to us all individually too right now, that you open our eyes to who you are in the seasons of life that we're in, the way that you want to reveal yourself to us. May we walk out of here with a greater understanding of our relationship and our connectedness to you. Maybe we be more just aware of our oneness with you than we ever have before in our lives. Amen. This is a story of the greatest transition that ever took place on earth. That what was going on three days before this? Jesus appeared to him as a man. But he died. He conquered death. Took back the authority from the grave. And it was on his way up to sit at the right hand of God. And these men, they're walking because they're so aware of only what they can perceive with their eyes and with their ears. That they're stuck in just a hurting place in their heart. Because they think that they saw that their friend had died. But what they didn't know is not only did he die, no, he defeated death for them. And if they had seen and recognized it, they would have celebrated what took place on that day. And how many times do we get dealt the bad card? And we sit there. And maybe we complain. We question some things because we lack circumstantial revelation. And it separates us from the one relationship that we need. The one relationship that can give us revelation. I found that in every hard time, there is always an opening. In every difficult season, there is always an opening, a, a revealing of a greater level of connectedness that we have in him. Because God wants to make you aware of what he's done. It says in Isaiah chapter 11 that we are not to make decisions by what we see or judgments by what we hear, but by our right standing with God. See, I think it's no coincidence that their eyes are opened at the table where they were seated with Jesus because we've been seated with him in heavenly places. 
Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 1, I pray that the eyes of your heart be enlightened so that you can see the fullness of what you have in the inheritance of the saints. That Jesus, where you've been seated, at the right hand of God is above every other name and every other authority. That's where you are. And we have this choice that we can see things through what we perceive, through the eyes of our heart. I said, did not our hearts burn within us? Didn't our hearts burn while he was making known to us the scripture, while he was speaking to us, while he was in a form that we didn't recognize? See, in every transition of life, in every new season, Jesus is coming in a form that you have never seen him before because he's making you more aware of who he is. He does it on purpose because he wants to make you aware of his fullness. In Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah gets caught up in this heavenly encounter. And he sees God, or he sees the Lord and his robe filling the temple and the seraphim surrounding him. And the seraphim are proclaiming this one thing. They're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. See, when you're seated with him in heavenly places, that's how you look upon the world. You see that this whole world is filled with the goodness and the glory of God. And you can't, you can't have eyes to see the troubles that are going on. Listen, you don't deny the fact that they're there, but you see that there is something greater. Because of where you've been seated. Where you've been seated. I am. Um, when the greatest ways the Lord has ever spoken to me, connected with me, and making me aware of who he is has been through my marriage. We're, we're called to enter into covenant in two, uh, in two places, one with him and one with our spouse. And I remember when I first got married, there was a lot of things I needed to learn. <laughs> and uh, there was some communication Issues that we had to work on. Like, you know, we'd live in a two-bedroom apartment. And Mass would say to me, hey, babe, your socks are on the floor. Oh. Or she would say, hey, babe, there's coffee grounds in the sink. Why, why is she talking to me about coffee grounds? She would, she would be kind. She would wait a second. But then when I wouldn't respond, she would come walking in and be like, hey, babe. There's coffee grinds in the sink. And that head would hit that 45-degree angle, and the fear of the Lord would come over me. I'd be like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> like, I still don't understand why she's talking about coffee grinds, but I'm going to go see it. <laughs> now I feel like I, after... Four years of marriage, I feel like I've gotten a little better. I, I can take these hints. I, I can see, I, I heard what she was saying, but I didn't see what she was trying to communicate. Now I talk to her. Sometimes I'll call her, I'll be aware that she's maybe having a busy day or something. I'll be like, babe, is there anything I can do for you? How can I help you? She'll just say, sometimes she has something I can do. More often than not, she says to me, just keep your eyes open. Just keep your eyes open. I think that's what the Lord's saying to us. Just keep your eyes open. Romans 1.20 says, The invisible qualities, divine nature, and power 
of God can be clearly seen through all that has been made, leaving man without an excuse. He's wanting to reveal to you his goodness. He's wanting to reveal to you just the magnitude of who he is and what he's put in you, what he suffered for, what he died for, that's what you could see. Because I'll never forget this, actually. I was in a, I was in a Starbucks one time. I was reading, and God asked me a question. He said, Zach, where's the door? And I gave him an answer. It was passionate, it was zealous, and it was wrong. <laughs> and in the middle of it, he just interrupts me. He's just like, listen, the door is my heart. And the worst place you can be is in the spirit, but outside of my heart. I feel like I'm still processing that years later. <laughs> you know, there's so many things that we can see and be aware of. With even spiritual language, maybe even spiritual eyes that we might say. Because it was at the same table, just the same way, where Jesus broke and passed the bread that opened the eyes of the disciples to who he was. He also broke and passed the bread that opened the eyes of John to see who was in Judas' heart. And there's this a stewardship of carrying his heart and seeing the things from the way he sees. It says in Daniel chapter 2 that he reveals great and hidden mysteries. He knows what hides in darkness, and it's light that dwells with him. See, I think John got that message because he could trust John with that, his heart. All the other disciples are asking, who, who, who? But not one of them knew because when Judas left, they all thought he was going to go do something about the money. But John stayed in one place. He stayed rested upon his heart. He didn't go disturbing or distributing that message amongst everybody. Because I think he really had Jesus' heart for Judas. Because he knew Peter. When they tried to take Jesus, he was grabbing his sword trying to cut people's ears off. What would they have done to him then? In that room if they all knew. I have a friend who says this. God loves everybody the same, but he doesn't trust everybody the same. But he wants to trust you with his heart. I love what Dylan said. God's coming back for a spotless bride. Without blemish, without wrinkle, and with peace. It says in 2 Peter 3. Without blemish, pure. Because you can't see God without pure heart. Without wrinkle. Because he died and his body was broken for you. He encountered death to give you eternal life. Listen, the world wants to make you old. It wants to put some wrinkles on your face. And if you can't see God without a pure heart, I don't think you can interact with him without a childlike heart. Because he says in Matthew 18, unless you have faith like a child, you cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. It goes on to say in Matthew 18.10, that the angels of children are the ones that stand in the face of God. That's a powerful verse. And I don't think that's when you reach a certain age that that angel starts to take a back step. No, I think it's when you start to lose your childlikeness. 
You see, I love hearing stories from kids. When they tell me, like, oh, I saw an angel in my bedroom. That is amazing to me. Listen, I think our eyes could be open to way more things if we cared more of a childlike heart. We're called to bring the kingdom into this world. And I think he wants our eyes to be open to it. I mean, I don't know how to read the Bible. John saw things. John saw a lot of things. Peter saw things. Jesus, Elijah, Abraham, David, Zechariah, Ezekiel. I mean, I can keep going, you know? Like everyone's having, is being aware of the heaven around them. God wants you to be aware of the heaven around you. Because it's fun. Like, man, I cannot tell you. I wake up in the middle of the night almost every night, and I look around my bedroom like, is there an angel in here? Like, I want, I want God to connect with me. I want to see things. I want to interact with him, even if it's just for me and him. Like, I have been made to enjoy him and him to enjoy me. Like, this is just the greatest relationship of all time. It's the greatest adventure of life to follow God. And all the world is looking, is watching, and wants to see what is this that these people are all about. These people who go after the Lord, they speak these things, they talk about these, these visions or the things that are burning in their heart, or God told me to do this. Listen, the world thinks that that's crazy, but yet their eye is constantly on you. Especially when things go bad. How are they going to respond? I'll close with this. I am. Um, I've heard some interesting statistics recently. I'm not, um, they're a few years old, so don't quote me on the exact numbers here. But in the city of Greenville, in the upstate, 70% of the people are unchurched. That's kind of shocking. There's a church on every corner. I remember when I grew up, I could see three steeples from my driveway. Here's another one. This is a couple years old as well. But I can't imagine it's too far from the truth right now. But there are more restaurants in the city per capita than any other city in the United States. You know what that says to me? It says the city's hungry. I'm serious. The world is speaking things. This, this, the natural is the shadow's reflection of the spiritual. The city is hungry. But they're not hungry for another message. They're not hungry for another worship service. No, they're hungry for an encounter with God. They're hungry to see him and just taste and see that he is good. And they're watching those who proclaim it. They're watching those who play, especially when things start to go bad. When I, I started going after God just with all my heart seven years ago in 2011, I, I, all I want to do, I just want to see healings. I want to see miracles. And my, I got to see. It was amazing. And I remember when some things started to go bad. Maybe when things I thought were going to happen one way, they didn't. And I still only had that chance. Do you really believe what it is he said? When he showed you in the feast, do you take that food and you let it sustain you throughout the fast? I 
I've had, me and Madison have just the craziest last couple years, it seems like. We've, we've been trying to have kids. And I remember a year and a half ago, I, I had three dreams in a row. Three nights in a row, I had the same dream, actually. And it was a voice that came over me and said, you will have a child in my timing, not yours. Three nights in a row. And after the third night, I woke up, and Madison tells me she's pregnant for the first time. And since then, we've had two miscarriages. But I don't ignore the validity of that word. I know that was true. I carry it in my heart. I remember uh, seven years ago, I was driving through Spartanburg. And I had this, I had this uh, a, a radical moment where the Lord spoke to me through some weird events that took place. And he said, you're going to raise the dead. And he told me to go see one of my friend's mothers, who I knew has been sick. We've been praying for her, and she'd been doing really well. So I turn around, I go across town, and I go to the facility that she's staying at. And by the time I check in at the front desk, to the time I make it to the back room, she passes away. She doesn't get up. I've laid my hands on the dead twice, and I've yet to see one wake up. I've laid my hand on my wife more times than I can count, and we haven't had a child yet. But I don't allow that, what I've seen with these eyes, to override what I know on my heart. What he tells me here. Because I got two words. I got one in my heart, and I got one there. You know, I read throughout all scripture that God likes to set up a scene when he reveals himself. You look at it, you look at all the different stories. He likes to create an audience. I, I love the story in Revelations 11. It's the story of the two witnesses, and they are creating a scene. They are prophesying these things, and the whole world is paying notice to them. And then a beast comes up from out of the ground and kills them. And now the whole world's like, huh. These guys are nothing anymore. But yet there's something about them where they're afraid to touch these men. They're afraid to come near. And then the breath of God shows up. And they come back to life. And they watch, everyone watches them rise up into the heavens. And the men that surround the throne, they start saying, now is the time, God. Now is the time to honor your servants. Now is the time to honor those who fear you, the prophets. And the heavens open up, and the Ark of the Covenant is revealed for all the world to see. He likes to set up a scene. It says in Psalms 23, that prepares a table for you in the presence of your enemies. And I just want to say this. Sometimes you don't feast until they're all present. And those who struggle to eat, they don't necessarily eat because they have a hard time sitting in the face of their distress long enough for God's goodness to show up. But if you endure, so many times in Revelation, for those who overcome, no, if you endure, if you overcome, then you too will see the goodness of the Lord and you will dine on it. You will feast on it because God wants everything that's brought you trouble Everything has brought you distress. He wants you to see. He wants them to see you feasting on the goodness of the Lord. He wants them to see that oil dripping from your head and your cup overflowing. That no matter what it is they do, there's nothing they can do to stop 
from his goodness and mercies from following you all the days of your life. He wants to show you his goodness. And I think it's right now. And this time, we're talking about Aaliyah and the things that are going on in this church. The world is watching. People are watching. They're watching. What's that church, that little church down the road? These people who believe that God does miracles, that God speaks. And there's probably a question like, a little wonder, what are they going to do now? Listen, God's showing his goodness in this moment. But when the heaven serves the feast, he doesn't serve one plate. There's a lot of dishes. And you leave full. Listen, every time God multiplied the food, there was all more, always more food afterwards than there was in the beginning. And that's after they all ate. Because what he's going to feed you with is going to be leftovers for the world around us. So Jesus, we just thank you. And we say we're ready. We want to taste and see that you're good. Open our eyes and open our hearts to see you for who you really are. May we not be overwhelmed by the circumstances that surround us, but may we be overwhelmed by the goodness of who you are. We thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen.